Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. I had been using bulletin boards before the internet, right? And uh, some other protocols before the internet to see, okay, we can get online using dialing into this modem and all these kind of things. And so it was always to me, I was like, what are, what are all the different communication channels? And for a long time, people thought the internet was just websites, right? And so I'm like, no, I'm on IRC. I'm on FTP servers. I'm logged into shells, all these kind of things. So to me, it's just all these different protocols and technologies that I'm just fascinated with and I'm always getting my hands into. And yeah, the dark net is something that I explored and was like, ooh, this is kind of a, an interesting place. Uh, it's got lots of different things. Um. Hey there, and welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Matt Ashburn, and I keep the lights on to get on the dark web. And I'm Jeff Phillips, tech industry veteran and curious to a fault. Today, we're continuing our deep dive into the dark web. And in this particular episode, we're looking to add a little more context to it through some real life stories. Um, we're actually joined by the host of the Darknet Diaries podcast uh, and its host, Jack Resider. Jack, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm reporting live from the Darknet. Excellent. Um, for those of you on the video podcast, you'll notice Jack has chosen to uh, not show his his actual face. And Jack, I've noticed um, online, it, it seems you try to limit your image uh, and background information about yourself as much as possible online. You know, why is that? Is it related to the to the show and the work you do, or what, what's behind that? I think it's the future. I think we've got uh, people using avatars for their images all over the place, and um, we're, we're seeing more and more of that. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, there's a lot of reasons. I am a content creator, and there are people who want to, I don't know, get to know me, <laughs> stalk me, hack me, all these kind of things. And this just happens to tons of content creators. And since I'm talking about the hacker world, I got to just kind of have that line of separation there. So yeah, I take a step back from uh, private information on the internet and really do what I can. I'm a big proponent for online privacy. And so here I can make a, a video appearance without showing my face. And I think that's uh, kind of fun. But at the same time, I'm using this, um, this sort of filter that gives me kind of a, a cartoon look. So it's mm -hmm. uh, not completely empty. No, I like that. That's a great point. It's, it is better than uh, uh, we've had some people we've talked to that, you know, have to go completely dark and that, that makes it a little more challenging. Thank you. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of a bit of a max headroom effect. Uh, so I'd like to know the name of the filter. It'd be uh, pretty cool to see. I'm using snap, uh, Snapchat. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Plenty of stuff there. Well, I like that better than the, the cat filters, I think. <laughs> um, 
On uh, Darknet Diaries, uh, your podcast, you tell a lot of stories from the dark web that that uh, explores the culture really around hacking and cybersecurity. Um, what really made you want to start telling those stories? Yeah, I think it was because when I was listening to the news uh, for you know Infosec and that sort of thing, there was uh, there was like breaking news, right? It was like, oh, here's the stuff that happened in the last hour, or in the last day, or in the last week. And a lot of that was missing tons of pieces. Well, we don't know who did it. Well, how, what, what did they actually steal? We don't know what they actually stole. Okay. Um, did there, are there any leads? Well, we don't know. Like, there's all this we don't know stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm tired of this kind of news. I want news where I do know. And so they're like, well, we won't know that for five years. Okay, well, then tell me the story in five years. And nobody was really telling me that story five years later of like, hey, we actually know everything now. Do you want to know it all? And for some reason, we just kind of like, no, that's five years old. I don't want to know that. But not me. I want to know it. So now, okay, who's the person who did it? All right, here's the, here's the kid's name. All right, um, what did they? Why did they do it? Oh, because they were bored in school. And you know how they get arrested? What they steal? How did the FBI catch them? What was the damage caused to the company? Like now we have all the answers. So this is what I do: is I, I'm a slow news junkie. I go back and I say, now we know the whole story. Now it's the right time to tell it, and that's what I do. Yeah, I love that. So it's really more of a curiosity that got you involved. Uh, were you using the dark web very much before then? Yeah, I mean, I it was, it was definitely curious going out there and checking it out. Like, this is neat that there's this alternative protocol that you can use. It it doesn't. It's not so much like I was a user of the dark net. Uh, I was more of just a, a fascinated person in technology, right? So I had. I had been using bulletin boards before the internet, right? And uh, some other protocols before the internet to see, okay, we can get online using dialing into this modem and all these kind of things. And so it was always to me, I was like, what are, what are all the different communication channels? And for a long time, people thought the internet was just websites, right? And so I'm like, no, I'm on IRC. I'm on FTP servers. I'm logged into shells, all these kind of things. So to me, it's just all these different protocols and technologies that I'm just fascinated with and I'm always getting my hands into. And yeah, the dark net is something that I explored and was like, ooh, this is kind of a, an interesting place. Uh, it's got lots of different things. Um, some stuff I was doing was uh, as, as I was working as a uh, network security engineer, I was trying to you know look for alerts and things that were related to the company I was working for. If our domain name showed up somewhere on the dark web. And, and so I'd, I'd kind of put out some alerts for me to look around for stuff like that and as well as checking out just to see what kind of forums there are out there and what 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 the communities are like there now sometimes you're talking to um i mean may i say it to, to criminals on the show right or mm -hmm. or hackers and things um how do you find your subjects for the podcast and and why do you think they're willing to go on the record with you and and walk through what what all was happening as they tell the story, like you mentioned, years later as you get the full picture. Yeah, I think I think there's enough shows out there that have like expert uh, opinions, yeah, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I've been in this field for twenty years and this is my expert opinion, and it always seems so high level, like that's some twenty thousand foot view. That's not that's not the oh my gosh, I really don't know what to do kind of situation because that's what i don't know when when you're in the trenches and you're getting hit with some sort of attack or breach or you're the one actually doing it you have a totally different viewpoint of what happened and you can speak from this eye 
standpoint like i did this and we did this and all this kind of thing and not this expert let's back up from that and say you should do this and you should do that because there's a difference between that when the rubber hits the road there's a totally different story we want to say and that's what i'm attracted to is these people who are actually there for the breach or did the breach or you know arrested the criminal or whatever the case is but yeah i am drawn to the criminal side of it as well like we hear these stories of like, okay, these hackers got into this thing and all this stuff and it was all this sophisticated stuff. But then, you know, you look in a story and you're like, no, they just found a post-it note, uh, you know, somewhere. And that's hardly even a breach. That's just like, um, you know, just a simple mistake that someone made. It's not even a hack, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. well, I, I stumbled upon this post-it note and now I can get into your stuff. And so I like these let's look into this to see what the hackers quote unquote actually did to do this. And you, you learn all this like nuance to it that you never would have realized before. And so it's really fun for me to like hear exactly how these people did it. I mean, sometimes I even call them out on the show, like that's the most unsophisticated lamest hack I've ever heard. (laughs) They're like, I know it should not have worked, but that's exactly how it happened. And now it's like, well, this is really stupid that it was so easy. So, yeah, I mean, I really like this, um, you know, firsthand opinion and, and viewpoint of everything. Yeah. I, I love the fact you've been able to demystify a lot of that stuff through that humanization, right? And bring in the human human element and uh, the criminals are out there. They're motivated uh, like most people are by, uh, by similar qualities. So it's, uh, yeah, you get it's pretty this, interesting uh, to see that. An image in your head when you just hear uh, hackers took this thing like, Ooh, yeah. You know, it could be yeah. Russian criminals. It could be some, you know, Eastern European. No, it was some teenager in fifth period class and Miss Wilson's exactly. uh, junior high, you know, <laughs> On a they're not all hiding in back alleys wearing dark hoodies. You know, yeah. that's not how that's not how that works. So, so I, yeah, I love bringing those images to life and saying this is exactly yeah. where it was done and who did it and how all that happened. You know, speaking of that, we've been talking a lot about misconceptions of the dark web and dark nets in general uh, in some previous episodes. Did you have any beliefs that were changed uh, as a result of doing your show or getting more involved uh, and more aware of what's going on in the dark web? Anything that surprised Um, you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is just kind of a thing that bothers me about kind of the misconception part of it is there's this like image of this iceberg that shows up sometimes where people are like, oh, the deep web has like 90% of the stuff in the world. And I'm like, I, well, that's not related to the dark. Net. <laughs> that's just like, if I have a, if I, in my house here, I've got all these devices, they're not exposed to the internet. You know, like the internet can't get to my computer sitting here on my desk. The internet cannot get to my phone sitting here on my desk at all. So that's part of the, the deep web or the, or the dark links or whatever the case is that they're trying to say, like, there's 90% of the internet is, is there. It's just that it's not publicly accessible. It's not on the dark net. There's no hit, like, like, Ooh, there's, there's like tons of data out there that, uh, you know, is available to the certain people. No, it's, 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 it's just private. (laughs) It's private in a company. It's private in a, in a house, whatever. It's not necessarily part of the dark web. And so I hate that that image keeps going around like 90% of the world has got this deep web stuff. And it's confusing. And I've been guilty of that myself using that, uh, that very famous uh, iceberg diagram. Uh, I have mm-hmm. to admit as much as I, I'm shamed uh, to, to admit that. Uh, but yeah. yeah, you're right. There, there is like this mystique that people get with this stuff where 
oh, we have the, the deep web. It's very mysterious. Uh, no, it's just not accessible uh, or easily accessible, you know, on the public internet, right? It's, it's uh, may require a login or, or maybe behind some other network or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the one that bugs me the most. Yeah. The, um, one of the other common threads that, that we've seen, uh, and I think this is highlighted in some of the interviews that you've conducted, uh, there's really a retaliatory or adversarial nature, even among the different groups and actors uh, that are committing uh, criminal acts or, or fraud or those types of things on the dark web or facilitated using the dark web. Um, what are some of the craziest things that you've seen in that regard? There are so many. I'm just having trouble coming up with something. Um, I, I, I always think it's interesting that people go through a lot of steps just to get like a free burrito <laughs> or free pizza, right? So there's like all these, uh, there's all these accounts for sale and stuff. You know, you can get a Netflix account, you can get a Chipotle account, you can get um, a Hilton Honors account and say, yeah, I'll buy that from you for a couple bucks. And then that's tied to somebody's actual Chipotle account, right? So you pop it into your phone and now you can order a burrito and get it sent to you or whatever. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is always interesting to me just to see these little these little things that people are going for out there. But I mean, that can scale up, right? You can get that Hilton's honors account and try to get a uh, free stay at a Hilton because you're using someone else's account to get into that room and stuff. But that's getting more risky now. And that's surprising me, too. Like you would actually go and stay in a in a like it's one thing getting a burrito delivered to your neighbor's house and then going and standing there and waiting and say, yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing it. But it's another thing actually going to use, uh, you know, a, a fake uh, fraudulent hotel account and actually stay there the night. That's just causing something bad. Something bad is going to happen from that. It's a different level of stress between those two, getting the free mm -hmm. burrito and stuff assuming someone's identity at a hotel for sure. Um, we talked about how on the show you'll have, um, you know, you have the criminal side, but you also have, um, you'll have, you know, investigators or, or cybersecurity professionals um, that are kind of, you know, if we put them in a, in a, ver you know, versus kind of scenario. Um, do you find that it's as easy to get the, those investigators or those cybersecurity professionals um, to open up and tell you about their, you know, tell their side of the story uh, on the podcast for as compared to the criminals? I don't really think it is. Um, you know, one thing that happens is that I have a lot of CEOs email me saying, I'd like mm -hmm. to be an expert on your show. And I say, oh, well, actually, can you tell me about the time when your business was hacked or breached? And they're like, well, I'm, I can't talk about that. <laughs> like, right. well, that's the that's the that's the good story I'm looking for. If you want to be on the show, you got to be very humble and vulnerable, and tell me about the worst day ever at work. And they right. don't want to do that. They have a PR obligation to be like, no, we're secure, and uh, we never talked about that publicly, right? So they, they a lot of CEOs just absolutely hate the idea of telling about the day they got breached. Um, so that just never happens. I never get that experience. Um, and then when we have uh, defenders and uh, people who were attacked, uh, a lot of times they're under NDA where they can't talk about the breach that th occurred or they're just not allowed to share it. And I say, okay, 
after all the stuff you can't say, like the company name, the date, location, maybe even the name of the malware, <laughs> like let's just re redact all the stuff that's redactable. Uh, is there, is that still allow us to tell the story? You know, I mean, you can just be general and stuff and I still have trouble with that. Right. So there's just this, um, it's, it's, it's hard for me to do that, but that's the space I love playing in is that stuff that let, we're not allowed to talk about that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I, I, I just keep looking around for people who eventually do have something that they can share. And, uh, it's, it becomes a very interesting uh, story when that does come out. And I think that's why we go to conferences too, is to hear, we know we've got th these certain problems and we're looking for people who have the same problems so that we can kind of help each other solve it. Mm -hmm. And so when I bring up these problems, it really does resonate with a lot of people like, oh my gosh, that happened to us. And how did they solve it? And it, it's really um, profound to some listeners. Can imagine what about the other side have you been surprised that any on the on the on the criminal side have been willing to speak with you that kind of then you might remember yeah that were long, long shot guests well it's not so much that it's uh, people who are still active in the mm -hmm. criminal scene right and i'm just like what why would you tell me this like this is like absolutely gonna be bad for you if i air this but i really i feel like i have a responsibility as a journalist to not show like, oh, here's a person who stole a million dollars and they got away with it and they're perfectly fine. Like, I, I feel like that's not, uh, I don't know, good journalism. So I really like to wait. And like, if somebody comes to me, this happens all the time. Somebody comes to me and says, I, I did this stuff. I, I, you know, ran this darknet marketplace, whatever the case is, um, hacked the stuff, stole things, made lots of money, whatever. My, one of my first questions typically is, were you arrested for this? Were you caught for this? Do you have a police report that I can see? Were there articles written about you? And um, that I like asking that because then I know the end, right? So let's just quickly jump to the end. Were you arrested? How much time in prison did you, did you experience from this? And if that is the case, then now we have kind of this, uh, this not so much a redemption story, but a, you know, an arc where the person was found to have received punishment for this, right? So there is you know, people might listen at the beginning of the episode, like, oh man, he's making so much money and doing all these hacks and stuff. And I want to get into that. But then all of a sudden everything just goes really bad. And then you, you kind of back up as a listener and be like, no, actually, I don't think I'm going to take this life of crime up myself because it does <laughs> seem like it's a bad idea. And so I, I kind of have to have that lesson in there. So, but I do have, have, I've talked to people. I haven't aired those episodes of, of people telling me like, this is all the crimes I've committed. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to air this. So on the other side of the house, right? So uh, journalists like yourself or cyber defenders, you mentioned, you know, cyber threat intelligence value of going on there and looking for maybe the organization or corporation that you're, that you're working for. What's some of the advice that you'd have to other folks that are using the dark web, dark nets for, um, for cyber defense purposes like that or for cyber intelligence? Yeah, I mean... There are threat intelligence feeds you can subscribe to, which will look at this. I mean, they're a little bit more skilled. They know which forums to look into. And it's it's not just the dark net. There are a lot of clear net websites that have breach repositories as well. It's, it's all over the place. Um, so having someone like a threat intelligence uh, service um, can really look for specific um, indicators and stuff for you. So you can say anything that has my company domain if you see that in any of your breach data or 
uh, you know, stuff that you're collecting, let me know. And then I'd like to, you know, examine that further. And sure enough, there were times where my company had a significant amount of its users show up in a breach. And I was trying to figure out like, okay, well now was our company breached? No, it doesn't seem like it. Cause it, this, you know, you look into the breach data, you see companies from all over, it's not just ours. And so now it's like, okay, well, um, do you think these users may have reused their password at work as well as in here? So now we have to notify these users like, hey, you are in this. But even if they didn't reuse it, it's still good for them to know that they were seen in this breach. So it was, um, I think it's just beneficial to to be able to look through this stuff that the criminals are gathering and looking through and to be able to make it sen- make it make sense to you. And that's what kind of threat intelligence is, is what what's the threat to your business or your network? And um, specifically, and that's, and yeah, threat intelligence can do that. So there are services out there that do this and you can kind of interact with them to say, this is what we're looking for. And they'll, they'll give you that information. Now, if we go a little deeper on that, you obviously take security seriously on your side, as we talked about with the, you know, the PII. Um, when we're, when you go onto the dark web, are, are you taking precautions? Um, just because of the nature and and you know any kind of the drive-by malware and mm-hmm. anything like that, or you just putting tour on your on your machine and off you go um, for whatever you might be willing to share from how you protect yourself. Yeah, I mean it depends on what I'm doing. Uh, I have my website Darknet Diaries on tour, and sometimes I just want to check on that to see how it looks um, because developing a website on tour is a really interesting experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I'm just going to put it on my browser um, and go go ahead and check it out and get off there when I need to. Um, other times when I'm digging deeper, I will use something like Tails or a virtual machine and be able to burn that whole operating system down afterwards. Because, um, you know, one of the things that Tor does is it, on, uh, and it anonymizes you. Right. And so if you're logged into certain things like Facebook and Twitter and things like that, and then you're starting to leave cookies behind or be able to be tagged or de-anonymized and stuff like that. So you want to have this sort of fresh install. So yeah, it all, it all kind of depends on what it is you're trying to do on there. Um, it's always good to take the extra precaution and say, mm-hmm. let's be safe because we're getting into zones that uh, <laughs> you can't trust anyone here. Uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it comes down to what what you're concerned about. You you touched on something there. Sorry to follow up that I'm not familiar with. Um, what makes it? What's difficult about build, uh, creating a website on the dark web versus you know on the clear web? Yeah, I mean you have to only accept connections on tour, and so you've got to. You've. I mean, you've got a server that's on the internet but it's not listening to any connections from the internet. It's only mm-hmm. listening to connections from Tor. And so you have to have a, it's, I, it, I can't remember all the steps, but you have to be able to get into that network and, and configure it in, other, in, in these other ways. And so when you have a website on Tor, you want it to be exclusively on Tor, right? And a lot of these websites, when you build them, they're saying, well, let's go to Google Analytics and use that. And let's go mm-hmm. to Font Awesome and use those fonts. And let's do jQuery CDNs and all these extra things that it's bringing in from the clear web. And so now when you go to a website, it's doing all these requests to these 
uh, clarinet websites and and that's not <laughs> that's not going to work and right. so like one of the things i have on my website is a is a mp3 player and that mp3 player uses these extensions that are on um uh, another you know it's like a cdn so how do i bring that in and not be reliant on any outside source and it's a completely internal or you know a self-contained website it has been some of the tricky stuff that I've run into. So, so Jack, as we start to wrap up here, what are some of the top resources or takeaways that you want to make sure people understand or, uh, or bring home from this episode? Hmm. I think, uh, I think we are cons- constantly under attack as far as there are breaches going on all the time. And our data is seen in them. And what we've got to do is kind of secure the things that are important to us. And so we see our username and password and our email address in in breaches all the time. You can go to haveibeenpwned.com to kind of look to see if your stuff has been in there. And you should do it frequently. You can even look to see if your password has been seen in a breach. And so when we see this is happening all the time and they're going after our Chipotle stuff and our Hilton's Honors stuff and our Netflix accounts, like they're, they're not just trying to, you know, get some big licks from us. They'll just take every little thing that they can. Um, we've got to really kind of secure our, our digital lives and take it more seriously. So we need to be enabling two-factor authentication, um, maybe using totally different email addresses for certain things. Like if you have a bank account or a crypto, that's shouldn't be the same email address as maybe Netflix or some, you know, some of the other services that you use that maybe not as secure, like signing up for some forum to talk about hockey or sports, like, you know, that has a highly chance to be a higher chance to be in breach because it's just run by some people who are probably, you know, using some, uh, WordPress or something that, you know, is just gets breached easily. So, you know, you, you go to these lower security sites, you, you shouldn't be using the same passwords and, and email addresses even as some of your higher security sites. So you might want to start compa- compartmentalizing it. It's like if you use one email address for your bank and that's it, that's the only thing you use with that email address. Now that's not going to be seen in any breach ever unless that bank gets breached. And that's kind of a nice peace of mind, right? So we should start mm-hmm. thinking about this going into the future of not just use a different complex password on every site, but um, a different email on every site too, because um, these criminals are really going after um, getting into emails and then getting everything from there. So emails are, are becoming more and more important to secure. Yeah, that, that's a good tip. And another one uh, similar to that is maybe using a slight variation of your name on like written material, right? Mailing uh, actual physical mail, for example, for, for different groups and organizations. Maybe a, I've seen some people put a different middle name, which represents maybe uh, the name of the company that you gave the information to, as an example. Mm. Uh, and if you start seeing that across other vendors, then uh, you know that your information has been sold or compromised or, or both. So, yeah. And uh, another tip, too, for folks that have Gmail, it's incredibly easy to do that, right? Just add the, the plus sign and then whatever attribute you'd like and uh, create a different email each and every time. Mm-hmm. Jack, thanks so much for being here today. Uh, that's Jack Resider of Darknet Diaries. And thank you also to everyone else who tuned into the show today. 
If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can watch episodes on YouTube and also view transcripts and other episode info on our website. Be sure to also follow us at Needlestack underscore pod on Twitter. We'll be back next week with more information about the dark web in our listeners live show dedicated entirely to your questions. To register or submit a question ahead of time, visit Authenticate, that's Authentic with the number 8.com slash Needlestack. We'll see you then. Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.